Well, friends, welcome to our service this evening. And uh, the camera is working. I think we can welcome those who are joining us online. And we trust that God will bless his word to ourselves and uh, to them as we worship God together. We're going to begin our worship by singing to God's praise from Psalm number 27. And sing Psalms and at verse number 7. Psalm 27 and sing Psalms is on page 32. And we're singing from verse 7 to the end of the psalm. Lord, hear me when I call to you. Be merciful and speak. Come seek my face. You told my heart your face, Lord, I will seek. Oh, do not hide your face from me. And do not turn aside your servant in your righteous wrath. For you have been my guide. From verse 7 to the end of the psalm, to God's praise. Lord, hear me Join together in prayer. Let's stand to pray. <clears throat> Most gracious and eternal God, we rejoice in the promises of your word as we draw near to you. We bless and praise your name that as we journey on through life, that where your grace is in the hearts of your children, that there you continue to draw them to yourself. 
there you continue to cause them to seek your face and cause them to reach out to you in the midst of all that life brings to them in daily experience and in daily providence. We're thankful, O Lord our God, that everything that takes place in the lives of your children is in order to bring them closer to you and in order to change them to be more conformed to the image of your Son, to be more like the children of God. And as we worship you together this evening, we are deeply conscious of the great need that we have of that kind of transformation. We fail repeatedly to be what we ought to be. What your word reminds us with regard to your children raises before us a picture of the beauty of holiness, of the beauty of devotion and commitment to you as their God. And we pray, Lord, tonight that you will have mercy upon us and that you will cleanse us from our sin, that you will give to us that true spirit of repentance before you, crying out to you out of the failure of life and out of the shame that sin so often brings into our innermost parts. We pray that you will bless your word to us tonight as we continue to share in it together. Help us to learn the lessons of it. Help us to learn from the dangers that are highlighted to us in your word. Help us to learn from the way in which your people are called upon to live that life which is separate to you as as their God. And keep us in that way day by day so that as we journey on through life and come to the end of it, the trail that we leave behind will be one of devotion to you and not one of repeated failure. We ask your mercy, O Lord God, uh, and we are thankful for the grace, the grace that sustains and upholds, the grace that gives strength in every time of need, the grace that is sufficient for us, whatever our needs might be, and the grace which will at last bring your people into the glory you have prepared for them and for which you are preparing them. So bless every heart before you here this evening. Give thanks to you for each and every one. And pray your blessing personally for us all. That in our own particular personal journey that we may know that you are with us. That you, we may know your keeping and your protection. And in our personal journey may we learn the value and the importance of journeying along life's way together as the people of God, realising and recognising from your word the way in which your people are strengthened, not only through your word and through their communion with you, but the way in which they are strengthened through their communion and fellowship with one another. And so bless us together here, give to us that earnest longing and desire for a closer walk with you, and give to us also an earnest longing and desire for a close walk with the people of God so that we may encourage and keep each other along life's way and so that when any of us may be in danger of slipping or falling that we may be upheld by those who are around us and help us to have that dependence upon the whole family of God and looking to you as our Father who is in heaven and so so being a delight to you that we live not only in the way in which you call us to do in our devotion to you, but that we truly live as those who are the family of God here in this world, a world where we find so much enmity and so much of a distraction, and in a world and a society which has largely forsaken you as the great God that you are, which has in many ways fallen off the cliff edge spiritually and morally and apart from your intervention to to rescue us and to bring us back we wonder what lies ahead for us 
We look to you, O Lord our God, to rescue us, to reach down to where we are and to lift us up and to turn us around and to give to us your truth, to give to us the power of your spirit and to give to us leaders and people who will truly fear your name and who will be examples of righteousness and of justice and of holiness and not be the examples of leading us further and further away from you. We cry to you, O Lord our God, to bless us in that way as a society and as a generation, to rescue us and to bring us the discipline of your word, the discipline of family life, the discipline of church life, uh, and the beauty of the way in which your word reminds us that whom the Lord loves, he chastens. So help us, O Lord God, and be merciful to us, uh, and in your love and in your compassion, reach to us where we are to recover us and to restore us. We pray for your blessing to be upon our whole community once more this evening and especially remembering those who need you most in serious illness, in frailty and in old age and in the burdens and anxieties of life. You are the God of health and well-being and we pray you to be close to all who need you and to give them a sense of, of worth and of health and well-being in your presence and that hearts that may be cast down may be uplifted by you uh, to give to them that hope of the glory of the people of God. Bless your word uh, around us and in our neighbouring congregations and communities today. Bless the whole Church of Christ in the world. Bless our own denomination and the congregations offered and uh, your servants whom you have sent out your word this evening anew. We pray for blessing to be upon all whom you have called to preach the gospel, your blessing to be upon your word as it is preached by them. And pray, O Lord God, that you will cause uh, through healthy gospel churches to uh, fill our land uh, where the people of God uh, breathe and walk the life of your kingdom and where uh, because of your presence and, and your grace that there is that beauty in all that is done in your name both in the public worship of your name and in living your lives as the people of God day by day. We pray for your blessing to be upon the congregation of Jurinish at this time as we are led to do it today and in this past week we pray for your blessing to be upon them uh, during their time of vacancy. We pray your blessing to be upon uh, Reverend David Muller and his health. We pray that you will give recovery and strength to him at this time and the days to come and that you will lead the congregation forward uh, in these days we pray as we commit them to you. We also pray for the congregation of Elgin, for your servant Reverend Colin Morrison there, pray your blessing to be upon him and the work of the gospel in, in that town and in the surrounding area and pray that you will continue to give direction and wisdom to them uh, at this time and as a plan for the future also may your blessing be upon uh, their thinking and may you give to them the wisdom with which they will be able to make the decisions that uh, will bring to pass in your good providence uh, an environment and a situation where the blessing of God and the gospel will uh, bring a blessing to that whole area and that part of our land. So be merciful to them, we do pray. Remember the WFM, we give thanks to you for them and for the work in which they are engaged and for their fundraising activities and for the projects that they are supporting. That you will bless and encourage them and bless all those who benefit from their fundraising activities. Pray that you will bring social and spiritual good uh, to those who need it most. And pray, O oh Lord, your blessing to be upon all those who seek to serve you in that way and in the whole missionary activity of your church. We pray for your blessing to be upon your word to us now as we turn to together, as that you help us in our reading and in our study often and uh, grant us the grace to be still and to know and to hear uh, that you are here and that uh, your voice is speaking to us and help us to be instructed anew from all that your word brings before us. So bless us, hear our prayer and accept us we ask, for we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're now going to turn to read the word of God in the Old Testament and in the book of Judges and in chapter number 16 and we're going to read at verse number 18. Judges 16 and at verse 18. 
When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and the strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And they ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon the God and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were many, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about three thousand men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Sora and Eshtiol in the tomb of Manoah's father. He had judged Israel twenty years. Amen. This is God's word. We do trust that he will bless to us our reading from it. We're now going to turn to praise God from Psalm 71 in the Scottish Psalter at verse number 9. Psalm 71 at verse number 9. On page 310. O do not cast me off when as old age doth overtake me, and when my strength decayed is, then do not thou forsake me. For those that are mine enemies against me speak with hate, and they together counsel take, that for my soul lay wait. We sing from verse number 9 to the verse marked 14 to God's praise.
turn together to the book of Judges and chapter number 16, and we can read at verse 30. Judges 16 and at verse 30. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And so on, I will look at this whole section from verse 23 uh, down to the end of the chapter. And we have followed the story of, of, of Samson and uh, dipped into the way in which the Bible records for us his calling and uh, the way in which God had raised him up for a particular purpose, the way in which he was separated to God and should have been uh, and was separated by God from his mother's womb and the way in which despite all of the potential that he had as somebody who had the spirit of God in his heart despite all of that potential how he lost his way time after time and how he became in many ways a a slave of his own passions uh, as well as somebody who lived the life of the day in which he lived influenced by the world around him and influenced by the ungodly Philistines with whom the people of God had a relationship that they shouldn't have had when God gave the children of Israel over to the hands of the Philistines uh, to oppress them. At the same time, the children of Israel found a way to live at peace with those who should have been the oppressor and their enemy. And we have followed Samson in that way to see at the first part of this chapter the way in which he surrendered to the line of temptation on the lap of Delilah. And sometimes in the Bible, the number seven speaks to us of perfection. And tonight is our, the seventh part of our study to the life of Samson. And it's certainly not a story of perfection. Indeed, it's a story of imperfection. And so tonight, as we come to the conclusion of the story, we want to think of Samson and the epitaph of failure. I want to think, first of all, of the reproach that we see in this passage. In verse 23, the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. There is a celebration. The celebration is a religious one. We could say it's a spiritual one because it involves the worship of a God, it involves the worship of Dagon who is the God of the Philistines, who is the God of fertility. That's what Dagon was known for, particularly in the area of agriculture. But he was the main patron God and deity of the Philistines. And here we find the Philistines celebrating, offering a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. And it highlights the way in which the life of Samson has to be understood at the invisible level of the life of a relationship with God and the invisible level of the way in which there is that conflict between light and darkness and between God and the devil, Satan himself. And we, we see that highlighted later on in the story of the relationship between 
the children of Israel and the Philistines. When in Second Samuel chapter 5, the Philistines take the ark of God. And they take the ark of God into the house of Dagon, the patron deity, and put the ark of God beside their god, Dagon. And then when they go into the house of Dagon, time after time, it's clear that, that here is the ark of the God of Israel. And because it is the living God of Israel, that they go in and they find the head of Dagon and both his hands lying cut off at the side because of the power and the authority and the way in which the God of Israel is the God of his people. And because he is the God of his people, he is all-conquering and he is all-powerful. But here we see the absolute reversal of that, uh, this experience of the people of the Philistines. Because they are attributing the way in which they have captured Samson to their god Dagon. Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. It is a spiritual battle. Here is the person they recognize as the one who is the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us in verse 24. He is the one who is brought in into their presence and who is brought in as somebody who is now going to be in this act of worship, going to be at the very center of what's taking place. And when they call him in and they, they, they say in verse 24, when the people saw him, that saw Samson, they praised their God. The Samson, who was called by God and empowered by God to begin to deliver the children of Israel from the Philistines, who should have been the champion of God in the house of God and in the worship of God because of his repeated failing and because he failed to control his passions, and because he was so like the world, he becomes the person who is in the center of the worship of the great enemy of the people of God, and they are raised up for their entertainment. Every time they see him, they praise their God. And let's think of the seriousness of that. Our behavior has consequences. And these consequences are visible in our world. And Samuel had these visible consequences. They had gouged out his eyes. He was blind. One could see what had happened to him. But here was something that was not visible. And here is something that is very much at the core of the spiritual battle. And so when, when, when you and I fail our God, when we sin against our calling, and when we sin against our new birth, and when we sin against the Spirit of God in our hearts, when we do that, we become the objects of reproach and we become the objects of celebration in the very kingdom of Satan himself. And we understand, of course, that that happens in the visible way. But I want us to really see tonight the way in which this is invisible and the way in which God sees our behavior and the way in which Satan sees our behavior and the way in which he and his angels celebrate for every failing that the people of God have, there is that celebration in the kingdom of darkness. We become a trophy of his ability to, to tempt us and to lead us into our falling. When we should be a trophy of the mighty power and grace of God in our everyday lives. And so what Samson's behavior has caused is that the name of the God of Israel has been reproached. And that's what our failing, failings come back to. That's where our failings are understood. And the people of God in, in the days of Ezekiel, 
when they were in Babylon because of, of their failure, because of the rebellion against God. And God is announcing the good news to them in, in chapter 36. He's going to come and he's going to put a spirit in their hearts and he's going to give them a new heart. But he's saying to them, I'm not doing it because of you. I'm doing it for the sake of my holy name. Why? Because you, he said, have profaned my name among the nations. Our sin leaves a stain on our lives, but it leaves a stain on the God that we are called to serve and to live as his children. We need to repeatedly remind ourselves that we need to be on our guard because as soon as we fail, we are giving Satan and his angels and his kingdom the opportunity to laugh at our God and to mock our God and to bring that reproach upon the name of the only true and living God. And along with that reproach of our God, that is, that is certainly the way in which Samson himself is brought to feel the shame of what he has done to his God. And they call Samson, verse number 25, in the midst of that celebration, when they become merry, whatever has made them merry, they're, they're certainly celebrating the victory. When they become merry, call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. Call this Samson, the failure of the children of Israel, their champion whom we have, whom we have captured. Let him come and entertain us. He made fools of us in entertaining us at his wedding celebration with his famous riddles. He laughed on the lap of Delilah. He played with us. Let him come in and let him stand between the two pillars. The, the two pillars of, of the temple of Dagon. The image of, of a roof, a superstructure that's supported with an upper story where there are two wooden pillars resting on stones. Let Samson take center stage. And there if he is found center stage with Dagon himself. So as they celebrate the victory God has, that God has given to them, so they, they laugh and they mock and they insult the Samson as he is made to stand there, bearing the, the marks of his failure in that they have gouged out his eyes. And he's standing between the, the, the two pillars with that sense of insult and that sense of insult because of his injury and that sense of insult because his hair was cut and he has lost his strength and he is embarrassed in this great gathering. The reproach. The Bible didn't mean to give us the information. But there are two things that we can wonder about. And that is, what was the entertainment, really? And secondly, what was Samson thinking? Was he filled with regret? Was he filled with remorse? Was he filled with repentance? Was he sorry because of what he had done? What was he thinking? He could hear all his enemies, but he couldn't see them. He was helpless and hopeless and he was in the hands of this young man who had taken him from winding the, the, grinding, the grinding wheel in the middle of the, the prisoners, taken him from there and presented him here. Helpless and blindness. The reproach. Let's always remember that our sin has these consequences. Who knows what 
the world thinks of our failings and of our misbehavior, we can be sure that they don't think we've done well. And we can be sure that just like Satan himself, they will use every opportunity to mock our witness that has failed and by doing so, to mock the God whom we serve. The reproach. Secondly, we want to see the reaction. And the reaction is a promising one. It's what Samson has done once before in his life that's recorded for us. Twenty years he served as judge, and in the whole of his story, would it only twice that he prayed. He prayed at the end of chapter 14, I think it was. He prayed when, when, the, when the, the, he defeated the Philistines, and he prayed at the end of chapter 15 of this. And here is the second time, and we read in verse number 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, he is reacting and responding to the reproach and to to the insult in the right way. He is calling to the Lord, and and you'll notice in, in, in some of the Bibles at least that that Lord is spelt with, with capital letters for the whole of the name. Smaller size, maybe. But the capital letters tell us that he is calling to the Lord, who is the covenant God of Israel, the Lord who has sent him to begin to deliver the Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. He is recognizing his relationship with his covenant. It's a shame that it has taken all that has happened for us to see Samson realizing truly his relationship with the Lord. And when he is doing so, he is addressing the Lord God. He is the covenant saviour of Israel, of Samson. He is also O Lord God, the the Adonai, who is the sovereign God, who is the all-powerful one, who reigns in our everyday lives, in our providence. His prayer is addressing his Savior God and the all-powerful God, who is in control of everyday life. His reaction is so promising and so encouraging. And when we come face to face truly with our feelings and with what that means, our hearts begin to appreciate the God who, who has called us and the God whom we have failed. And that appreciation begins to capture the way in which he is brought before us in his word in that complete sense so that the little things of life are under his control so that the little things and the big things in my own life are things that that are there because I'm called to obey him. And the failings are there because to, to highlight the way in which I fail to obey him. But the heart responds in the right way if we understand what has gone wrong. And the right way is to pray. Where there's life, there is prayer. And Samson has lost his sight, he's lost his eyes, he's lost his witness, he's lost everything, but he hasn't lost the sense of knowing what it is to pray. And he prays for two things. Please remember me. How ironic that the Samson who was lying on Delilah's lap and forgot his God and forgot his commitment to God and forgot his calling from God 
It's now in the depths of the reproach that he has brought upon his God and upon himself from these depths, asking God to remember him. Think about me where I am. And of course, God knows where Samson is, but the prayer reaches out because God, Samson is wanting God to, to remember him in the sense of coming to help him in his need. And we have before given the, the explanation of, of what remembering means. It's uh, one who is asked to remember their child, to remember them where they are in another country, so that whatever distance is there, the distance vanishes because there is such a sense of remembering that it is as if they're back together, their presence is there. And so to remember really is about to be present. And Samson is crying out to God to remember me and be present with me. And if we come to understand our sin and our failings, we'll understand what the absence of God means and we'll understand the importance of God returning with his presence. Remember me. In this awful gathering where there is the worship of this dagon God, Lord God, remember me. And secondly, please Strengthen me. What had he lost? He had lost his hair, but more importantly, he had lost his strength. He went out in verse 20 as he went at other times, and he did not know that the Lord had left him. Remember me, Lord God. Strengthen me, O Lord God. Give me back everything that I've lost. And that seems like the right reaction. It's what the people of God should have been doing, and they weren't doing it. It's what they should have been doing, realizing that when the Philistines come in, it is God's judgment to remind them that they have done wrong, but they haven't responded or reacted in the way that they should. But Samson is doing what he should do. And tonight, if, if you have failed God and you realize what that means, you want him to remember you and you want him to strengthen you. And, and all that will happen with his restored presence, that God will come to where Samson was and that he will come to where you are and come in your need. There is the reaction and there is that promising, encouraging aspect of it. But there is also a part of the reaction which reminds us that, that some things haven't really changed at all. And we see that Samson is praying this prayer for one particular reason. That I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. He wants justice. He wants revenge. He wants really the thing that belongs to God. The God who says, vengeance is mine, I will recompense, says the Lord. But he is wanting to get his revenge on them because of his two eyes. The insult and the shame of where he is in Dagon's temple has highlighted what he has lost because of his sin and his failings, and that has caused him to seek revenge on them. And when we analyze this prayer, we see that he is interested in one thing and not in the other. There is no mention that it is the name of the Lord his God that has been reproached. 
He doesn't pray in any way that there will be something done so that God's name would be restored to where it should be. It's all about himself. It is about his self-centered focus on life that once more doesn't go beyond where he is himself and what's happening to himself. And when we we read the, the words of his prayer, where there are something like 18 words, we find that the first person pronoun is used five times to show us this is all about himself. He has no mention of the fact that he has been called to begin the deliverance of the people of God from the hands of the Philistines. There is no mention of the people of God in in, in, in total, the community which he has called to represent. There's a complete lack of concern for the calling with which God has called him. He has forgotten the significance of who he is and why he was there. And he's caught up with his own name and his own reputation instead of being concerned with the reputation of God. And in many ways, that makes a distinction between what's genuine sorrow and repentance and that which is simply remorse because of what I suffered because of my failing. Why do we want God to remember us and strengthen us is it so that his holy name is once more restored to its glory and greatness? Or is it so that we'll stop hurting? And so that we'll stop being insulted? And so that we'll stop being ridiculed? What are we praying for when we reach out to God? What's important to us? Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife. And his major defense was, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against my God? That's the level at which we're living. That's the level at which we're failing. And that's the level at which we're praying, if we're truly praying for our restoration. There is the reproach. There is the reaction And finally, there is the reputation. And there is the reputation, first of all, of Samuel's God. And we see the faithfulness of Samuel's God, first of all, in the way in which, in verse 22, we read the words, but the hair of his head began to grow. When the sunset was ready to set, it seemed, on Samson's life as a servant of God, there appeared the evidence that God had not forsaken him. His hair began to grow. And when we see the way in which Samson wants to to reach out and to rest his hands on the pillars. In verse number 26, Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean upon them. Here is the Samson who has his strength coming back, his hair is growing, there is evidence that God is with him. And he wants to lay hold of the two pillars to lean upon them. And and it's interesting that in the Old Testament, the word leaning is used with regard to the way the people of God trust in their God. He is leaning on the pillars. And the people of God are leaning on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. They are trusting in the name of the Lord. They are relying upon him. 
And when we come to to the conclusion of the story, we remind ourselves that the reputation of God is intact. We remind ourselves that God has always remained faithful. We remind ourselves that whatever strategic position Samson finds himself in, in the temple of Dagon, we remind ourselves that God is always strategically placed with his people, whatever their needs are and wherever they are. And no matter what, where he begins that work of grace, he will raise them up. He will not let his people go. They will not shipwreck. The faith of it is a genuine faith. My steadfast love, says God to David, my steadfast love will not depart from your son as I took it away from Saul. God is with Samson. God remains faithful. And alongside of that we see the sunset coming down on the life of Samson. And all he has done seems once more to to filter in in tributaries, to filter in to where he is right at this moment in time. Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. The house was filled with with people. Let me die with the Philistines. Is that something positive or is it something negative? He has lived his life with the Philistines. He has lived his life with the Philistines when he should not have lived his life with them. He should have been engaging in the service of God with them. He sinned on the lap of Delilah, the Philistine. He spent his life giving way to his passions and his lusts and did so with the Philistines. And now in in this moment of revenge, he is crying out to God, let me die with the Philistines. What a sad testimony. We, can t- we could take it positively and, and think that because he's called to, to deliver the children of Israel from the hand of the Philistines, that there is that positive aspect to it. But we cannot ignore, because of the pattern of his life, we cannot ignore the fact there is something here that leaves him still engaged for his own personal reasons against the Philistines. And in the picture that we have in the sunset, we have the faithfulness of God. We have the unfaithfulness of Samson. And we have one more demonstration of the faithful power of God. As he bowed with all his strength. Whose strength? It was the strength of God, the strength that God had restored to him. There is no word of the Spirit of God rushing upon him. But when he bowed with all his strength, the strength that he now has, he is no longer like any other weak human being, He has the strength that God has given to him. And he's leaning upon the pillars. And he's leaning upon the pillars and leaning upon the pillar which is his God. And he pushes, he slides the cedar pillars of their stone base. And the whole structure collapsed. The house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So... The dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Should he not have killed so many more in his life if he had lived as he should? And there there are together all of the strands here that lead us to the conclusion 
that Samson's reputation as someone who has been unfaithful to his God and someone whose life has been marked by failings and that these failings have been so much part of his character that when he comes to the very end, they are still there with him. The sun sets on his life. And there we have Samson, the epitaph of a life of failure. What is the epitaph as we close? It is, here lies Samson, a man of faith and a servant of God who died a failure because he never mastered his passions. His life was a testimony to his unfaithfulness, to his divine calling, but at the same time a testimony to the faithfulness of God who used him in service despite his failings. He was a man with great potential but ended his life with the Philistines. They take him away, his brothers, and they bury him. And here is the epitaph. What will be the epitaph of our own lives when the day comes and we are carried away? What will we leave behind? Our witness, our reputation as those who are the people of God, so crucially important. And let's let the context of every temptation remind us that the battle is a spiritual one, that the battle is between good and evil between God and Satan. And every time we fail, we bring reproach on the name of our God. May God help us to learn the lessons. May we see the, hear the sirens in, in, in Samson's life. And may we be better people as we learn from the mistakes that he has made. May God bless his word. Let us pray. Most gracious God, we seek to humble ourselves before you. Your word reminds us that let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall and help us to live carefully. Help us to live in your presence and help us to heed the dangers and to be alert to them by your spirit and by your grace. And watch over us and bless your word to us once more this evening and carry us from here and give us to have your word deep in our hearts, not only tonight but every day of our lives, so that we may live by it and in accordance with it. Hear our prayer and accept us. Bless your word for Jesus' sake. Amen. Closing Psalm is Psalm number 18 in the Scottish Psalter at verse 46 on page 222 Psalm 18 at verse 46 God lives blessed be my rock the God of my health praise be God doth avenge me and subdues the people under me from 46 to the end of the psalm to God's praise
to stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.